that song, Jesus, We Love You, it, it, it's on a playlist that I listen to when I, when I go running. And uh, I want you to think about that for a moment. Who are you here for today? I, I mean, who are you here for? That's right. That's right. I hope that's all of our answer, Chris. I, I hope that you're here today for Jesus, for nothing else and no one else. Why are you here today? If we're here for Jesus, why are we here? Brother Andy said it best. Are we here to perform for Jesus? Are we here to, to, to do Jesus a favor by, by giving him our attendance? Or are we here just to sit at the feet of Jesus, just to be with him? Listen, who you're here for and why you're here will make all the difference in your life. It'll make all the difference in your life. It'll make all the difference in the life of your family. It'll make all the difference in the life of your workplace. I love what Brother Andy said in his prayer. I love listening to him pray, and I almost feel like technically, you know, since I'm standing here in front of him and he's usually right there, it almost feels like he's praying over me, and I love it. But he said, but he said God, refill us today. How many of you have been rung out this week? Anybody? Anybody been rung out this week? Okay, probably, probably a lot of us, and some of us just didn't want to raise our hands. <clears throat> I feel like probably all of us have been rung out in some kind of way. Whether you've been rung out at the house, or whether you've been rung out at school, or at work, or in the community, um, every one of us, we, we need to be filled daily by the Spirit of God. We need to be filled daily by the Spirit of God. Why is that the case? Because I believe if we will pray every morning, God, fill me. When he fills you up, you know what he's going to do to you all day long? He's going to pour you out. He's going to pour you out with your spouse. He's going to pour you out with your children. He's going to pour you out. And so I'm so thankful today that we are here to celebrate Jesus. I'm so thankful today that we're here to be with Jesus. Listen, today it's not about performing. Today it's about participating. And I say that because so far we've seen a lot of encounters Right? A lot of encounters with Jesus. Look, we're only into the tail end of Mark chapter 2, and we're going to get into Mark chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, we're going to be right there at the end, the last little passage of Mark chapter 2, and we're going to dig into the first part of Mark chapter 3. But listen, we're, we're only two and a half, almost three chapters in, and what we've seen is we've seen Jesus encounter people. He, he's encountered people. And what we've seen is we've seen how people respond to Jesus. How they respond to his message. How they respond to his life. How they respond to his works. I want to ask you a question today. How have you responded to Jesus? Who he is, what he says, and what he does. How have you responded to Jesus? I want you to think about that. Just a few days ago, I read these words from one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Matt Capps. He preaches there in Tennessee. He said this. Pride is the sin beneath every other sin because at its core, pride is self-worship. Think about that. Pride is self-worship. And the first step in fighting pride is realizing that you are prideful. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. Um... I love how God is speaking to me. I love how God is moving in my life. It doesn't make me better than anybody. 
I, I don't compare what God's doing to me and through me to this person or that person because that's what the devil wants me to do. And so I'm just thankful for what God is saying to me and what God is doing to me and through me. But here's what I find out. The more I sing that song, Jesus, I love you, and, and the closer I'm drawn into Jesus, the more desperate I realize I am for him. Because as he shines his light on my life, what I see is I, I see the sin that cost him his life. And pride is one of them. And, and if you sit here today and you say, well, I'm not prideful, you are. You just condemned yourself. <laughs> because every one of us, we, we have to deal with that selfishness. That, that me first attitude, it's going to come, it's going to happen. Satan's going to tempt you with that selfish desire over and over again every day. Me first, me first. What about me? Well, I love this. Pride, what it is at its core is self-worship. And so today we're going to dig in and we're going to see some responses to Jesus' message. We're going to see some responses to Jesus' life and his work. And, and I really want to draw attention to two responses we've seen so far. So far, we've seen the disciples respond to Jesus. And how did the disciples respond to Jesus so far? From what we've seen, the, the disciples respond to Jesus with humility, which leads to obedience. Have you noticed that when Jesus, when he walked along the way, we saw it with the calling of Levi, who is also known as Matthew. We, we've seen it with the other disciples so far that he's called. He meets them where they are, right? He, he doesn't wait for them to come to him. He meets them right where they are, in the busyness of their lives, even in the sin of their lives. He meets them where they are, and he says, hey, follow me. And what we've seen so far from these disciples is, is that when Jesus speaks to them, when he looks at them where they are, when he speaks to them where they are, they respond with humility. They're humbled by the fact that this man wants me. This man is calling me. And, and so they humble themselves, and what we see, and I love the way Mark does it, and he's going to keep doing it, he keeps using that word immediately, at once, Immediately, at once. Listen, these disciples, they humbled themselves, and because they humbled themselves before the Christ, they obeyed Him. That's the response we see from the disciples. Now, were they perfect? Somebody answer that question for me. Were the disciples perfect? No, because no one is perfect other than Jesus Christ. So don't miss that. Their humility and their obedience wasn't because they were better than. It's because they chose to believe. They chose to respond correctly. We also see the Pharisees. The Pharisees respond to Jesus with pride. And guess what pride leads to? Yes, it leads to destruction, but as we have seen so far in these first two and a half chapters, it leads to accusations. I believe that's one of the things when you read the Gospels, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you read the Gospels, the Pharisees are always found to be doing what to Jesus? Questioning him. Questioning him. And their questions aren't just like, oh, I want to know so that I can know for good and know the truth and it'll set me free. No, they question him to accuse him. It always comes back to accusations. And that's pride. That's what pride does. Pride leads you to be an accuser. Right? That's what it does. 
And so in these final verses of Mark chapter 2, and in these first verses of Mark chapter 3, we see more encounters between Jesus and the teachers of the law known as the Pharisees. And we're going to see that their response moves just a little bit further now than accusations. You're going to see this is a turning point. Mark chapter 3, right here in verses 1 through 6, it's a turning point in the hearts of the Pharisees, and I'm not talking about a turning point in a good way. The topic that is at hand is the Sabbath. And I want you to understand, the topic of the Sabbath only reveals the true problem. Do you want to know what the true problem is? Stubborn hearts. What does Solomon say in in Proverbs 4.23? He says, above all else, guard your what? Your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. Jesus, a little later, and we're going to get there. A little later, guess what Jesus says? He says, every word of your mouth is the overflow of your what? Your heart. We're fixing to see the hearts of the Pharisees. Stubborn hearts. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28 says this. On Sabbath, there's the topic. On Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Look at verses 27 and 28. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What what a powerful... What a powerful statement by Jesus Christ. Again, questioned by the Pharisees, accusing him of doing something that is unlawful. But unlawful according to whose standard? Theirs. Why? What are they filled with? Pride. Yeah, law, right? What I can do for God. Listen, when you start thinking about what I can do for God, you better look out. Because your good stuff that you're doing for God can become your God. And it can become an idol in your heart that you worship. And that pride, that pride leads to self-worship. You begin patting yourself on the back because of how many times you went to church this year. Or how much money you gave to the tithes. Or how many teams you're on. How many retreats you've served on. You better be careful patting yourself on the back. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. That's what he says. I I love these verses 27 and 28. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Listen, this is about his divine authority. His divine authority that he has both in heaven and on earth. And the people that he has encountered, not just the Pharisees and the disciples, but but those who are, are sick, those who are lame, those who are deaf, those who are blind, those who are mute, those who are not just physically 
ill, but spiritually ill. These people have already seen the authority of Jesus Christ. They have heard and felt the authority of Jesus Christ. And so I love this because they asked Jesus an accusatory question, right? Why are you doing such things on the Sabbath, unlawful things on the Sabbath? And so Jesus, guess what he does? He does the same thing to the Pharisees that he did to Satan when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. You know what he does? He quotes Scripture. That's pretty important, by the way. Don't miss that. Jesus always points back to the Word. You want to know why? Because he is the Word. (laughs) If Jesus points back to the Word, maybe we too ought to point back to the Word when someone asks us a question. When Satan begins to tempt us, maybe we need to go back to Scripture and say, let me tell you what Scripture says. So Jesus, he points them back to Scripture. Where does he point them? He points them to 1 Samuel chapter 21. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David was given the bread by the high priest so that he and his men could eat. Guess what the high priest did when he gave him that bread? He gave him the consecrated bread. The the bread that only the priests were supposed to eat. But here's what he did. He showed mercy to David and his men. He showed mercy. And so the high priest showed mercy by giving them what was called ceremonial bread. I love Dr. David Jeremiah when he comments. He says this, the high priest knew that this was a time to put mercy before ceremonial law. I love that. And as we see in this passage of Scripture, Jesus agrees with it. You want to know why? Because Jesus is the high priest. He is the high priest. Jesus has all authority as God in flesh. All authority in heaven and on earth. And let me tell you what this is about. This is about mercy triumphing over religious ritual. That's what it is. It's about the mercy of God, the grace of God that covers all sin, right? That, that meets us where we are. And so Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He wants them to know who he is and why he's here. As a matter of fact, I love this. He says the Sabbath was made by God for man and not the other way around. Do you know what the Pharisees had done? They had put piled so many other laws on top of the original law of the Sabbath to where it, it, it was more work, right, to try to keep the Sabbath than it was to actually just follow the original commandment. They added this law and this law and this law. They just stacked laws one on top of the other. Listen, it starts with 10, and before long, guess what? It turns into 6,000. And the Pharisees actually thought they were doing God a favor. And here we go. Trouble. When you begin to believe that you're doing God some favors, trouble. That's called pride. And so the Pharisees had become so captivated by and so enslaved to the law that they missed the Messiah, the Lord of all. All authority, heaven and earth. They missed him. Even though, even the the law of the Sabbath, right? The law of the Sabbath had become about what they were doing for God, not what God had done, was doing, and would do for them. I'm going to tell you, we have to be careful with our hearts. 
We have to be careful with our minds because we can believe that we are doing God favors with our external practices, yet we lack the internal passion, right? It can become a habit without what? Heart. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Listen to me. God doesn't want your habits. You know what he wants? He wants your heart. And he wants all of it. Because if he has all of your heart, he'll take care of the habits. We've got to be careful. In Exodus chapter 20, we see the Ten Commandments. And you may already know this, but you may not. But the fourth commandment, it's verses 8 through 11. Did you know that it is the longest commandment of the ten? And guess what it addresses? The Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath. When you read Exodus chapter 20, God gave the Sabbath to man as a blessing. The Sabbath was a benefit for man. The Sabbath was given to us so that we could commune with God, so that we could celebrate God, remember God and what He, what He did for us. The Sabbath was never created so that we, right, could do God favors. It was given to us so that we could say, God, thank you for your favor to us. That's the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, oof, they're missing it. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law kept adding rule after rule after rule, ritual after ritual, that the Sabbath was no longer a blessing. Guess what it was? It was a burden. And that's not what it was intended the Pharisees saw what Jesus and his disciples were doing as a violation. They, they, listen, remember what it's already said, and you're going to keep seeing this. What were they doing to Jesus? They were looking at him. And they were looking at his disciples. They weren't there to worship him. They were there to watch him. Remember what I asked you a while ago? Who are you here for? Why are you here? Are you here to watch? Or are you here to worship? Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're here to worship you'll get a whole lot more than you get if you came to watch. Because the Pharisees watched. Oh, they listened. They were close. They were following. They were following Jesus. But they were following Jesus to watch Him so that they could accuse Him. They were not worshiping. See, their hearts were filled with pride, not humility. And so one violation that they saw being broken was traveling. They had made a rule that you could not walk more than 1,999 paces. Yeah, that's real. If you took more than 1,999 paces, you just broke the Sabbath by traveling. How many of you got these smartwatches? A lot of you got these smartwatches. You know what these smartwatches do? They keep up with how many steps you stepped in a day, don't they? It's amazing how many steps we take in a day, isn't it? We take a bunch of steps in a day. A bunch. The Pharisees said if you take more than 1,999 paces, then you broke, the, you, you broke the Sabbath. You violated the Sabbath. Not only that, they said you could not reap or harvest. You know what that's about? Can't work. Can't work. Can't do any work on the Sabbath. Let me just tell you something. They were not concerned with angering God. They were angry because God in flesh and His disciples... We're breaking their laws. 
That's what this was all about. They were not concerned with angering God. They were angry. Because this Jesus and his disciples were breaking their laws. So, so the Pharisees, they were enslaved by law. They were enslaved by ritual. That They were even blinded by it. Because here's the thing. The one who gave the law, right? The one who gave the law. The word become flesh was trying to teach them what the law was, why the law was, and how to use it. But their hearts, what was wrong with their hearts? Filled with pride. Here's the thing. When you're filled with something, what you got to do before you can fill it back up? You got to empty it. They weren't willing to empty what was in their hearts. And so they couldn't receive what Jesus was telling them. So the topic is the Sabbath. But what's the real problem? Stubborn hearts. You might think, well, Brother Jeff, that's pretty good. You come up with that? Nope. That would be Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to do what? Accuse Jesus. (laughs) They were not there in the... Does that not blow your mind? Right? The Pharisees, the religious ones, the teachers of the law, they were not in the synagogue to worship. What were they there to do? They were there to accuse Jesus. Some of them were there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Was Jesus going to hide something here? Nope. His message, his life, and his work was on full display. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. (laughs) How ironic is that? These men got a lot to say about everything else. But when Jesus asked them a question about the Sabbath that they know so well, they remained silent. Why do you think they remained silent? Why do you think they remained silent? Just think about it. And here it is, verse 5. He looked around at them in anger. Now, I'm going to explain that anger in just a minute. Don't, don't get caught up and say, oh, wait, man, Jesus was angry? Oh, yeah, Jesus got angry. But his anger is a lot different than my anger. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their what? Stubborn hearts. Their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out. Verse 6, this is so heartbreaking. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That's the turning point. That's the turning point. See, this passage truly reveals that the Pharisees 
and the teachers of the law, it reveals their hearts when it comes to Jesus' message, when it comes to his life, when it comes to his works. Again, where do we see Jesus? We see him in the synagogue. Isn't it awesome? He's getting to that synagogue. Wherever he goes, he's going to get to the synagogue. It's important for him. He wants to be in the synagogue. And by the context, what day does it happen to be in the synagogue? The Sabbath. We just had one encounter with the Sabbath. The Pharisees were already angry with him because Jesus violated what they thought the Sabbath was all about. Jesus has already tried to teach them what the Sabbath is all about. It's about the mercy of God. It's about the favor that God can do for you, not the favor that you can do for God. And now we come to this spot in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And here it is. What were the Pharisees doing? They're doing what they're always doing. The Pharisees were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. In the synagogue, a place of worship. And I'm going to tell you something. You might look at that and say, well, the Pharisees weren't worshiping. I disagree. Oh, they were worshiping. Don't miss this. Oh, the Pharisees were in the synagogue worshiping. They were worshiping themselves. How many times have I done that? How many times have I done that, walked up in this building and made church about what I want, when I want, and how I want? How many times have we walked up in the Sunday school class and wanted it to be about me and not about Jesus? Oh, they were worshiping. They just weren't worshiping the one who was worthy of their worship. The Pharisees were not there to honor God. They were there to bring God down. They were there to bring Jesus down. I want you to notice something too. When Jesus went to the synagogue, now we know this about Jesus. Jesus has already told us what his purpose was. He said, I came to preach. I came to preach the good news. And and what is his message? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's what he said right there in Mark chapter 1. And he's going to preach that same message day after day after day until his last day as God in flesh. Repent and believe. Jesus was there to preach the gospel. But do you notice that Jesus was fully aware of everyone there and their needs? Jesus noticed the man. He noticed the man with the shriveled hand. I I try to picture that, right? I, I mean... Is all of his hand there? Is it, is it balled up? Is it, is it wrinkled? Is it discolored, disfigured? I, what, what does it look like? And, and I thought about this just a moment ago. You know, when I was standing down here worshiping, at some point I raised up my hand and worshiped. What, what was this man doing there? Was he there to worship? I, I tend to believe he was. I tend to believe he was in a synagogue and he was worshiping. Yeah, he didn't look like other people there. As a matter of fact, the other people might have looked at him and said, man, stay away. They might have looked at him and said, well, the reason you got that shriveled up hand is because you did something to God. They could have been casting stones at him before he ever walked in the door, but that man was there. And Jesus noticed him. And he noticed that shriveled hand. But it didn't matter to Jesus, did it? It didn't matter why that man's hand was shriveled. It didn't matter what part of the room he was in. Jesus, Jesus noticed him. And you know what? Jesus showed compassion. And he displayed love. He saw a man who needed compassion and a man who needed love. And I'm going to tell you something. The place and the day did not matter. Think about that for a minute. 
The place and the day did not matter. He needed compassion and love, and Jesus was ready to give it to him. This was an opportunity for Jesus to display the love of God, the full, right, the full love of God, the full power of God. Notice the question, right? Notice his question to those who were looking at him, to those who were watching him. See, Jesus is fully aware of everyone in there and why they're there. And look at the question he asked them. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, what we know about the Pharisees and the rules that they continue to pile on and pile on, especially to the Sabbath, was that healing on the Sabbath was only permitted for the sake of saving a life. They had actually written that in. The only healing that you could do on the Sabbath was to save a life. That was it. The Pharisees could only see what was on the outside. They could only see what was physical. Why? Because their hearts were filled with pride. They focused on the outside. You know what Jesus was looking at? I do believe that Jesus looked at this man, and I do believe that Jesus saw that shriveled hand. I believe that or Mark wouldn't have wrote it. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe Jesus saw a lot further than that shriveled hand. I believe Jesus saw a lot further than that shriveled hand. And we got scripture. I can take you scripture after scripture where God, right, doesn't look on the outside. Where does God look? He looks on the inside. That's Old Testament and New Testament. We can go to Bible class and look at it. And so if it's God who looks at the heart, don't you know that it's Jesus who looks at the heart too? Oh, he noticed the shriveled hand. But what Jesus noticed was a heart, right? He noticed a man that was created in the image of God and had the breath of God in him that gave him life, and he noticed a heart. And so Jesus, what did he do? He restored the man. See, while the Pharisees were there looking for a reason to accuse, Jesus was there honoring God. That's what Jesus was doing. He was honoring God in the synagogue, honoring God on the Sabbath, and he did so through a miraculous healing. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And Mark says his hand was completely restored. Now, now I, I, I looked at all that, and I wondered why did Mark put that word completely, right? Why, did, why didn't he just say the man's hand was restored? No, he said that he was completely restored. See, I think it was more than a hand. See, here's what I know about Jesus and what I've seen so far and what I believe we're going to keep seeing as we read the book of Mark. I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus healed, he always healed spiritually, more so than physically. We, we see the physical and we go, wow, the man who couldn't walk is now walking. Yeah, but he's walking with a new heart. <laughs> who cares about the new legs? It's the heart. This, this man, listen, he's going to stand up and he's going to raise a hand to heaven and it's a restored hand. But you know what's better than that? A right heart. <laughs> a right heart. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is about love. He's about compassion. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what the law was about. It was about the love of God. Listen, Jesus has all authority. He has all authority as the Son of God, divine. He has all authority as the Son of Man. He's completely God, but He's completely human. But His authority is not bound. He has all authority. He is God in flesh. He is the Word become flesh. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I believe the Pharisees missed the intent of the law. 
I do. I believe they missed it. What, what was the intent of the Mosaic law that they were trying to keep? The law that they devoted themselves to. I'm going to tell you, if anybody knew the intent of the law, it was the lawgiver. You, you want to know what the intent of the law was? There was a young teacher of the law who went to Jesus, and you, you'll remember this. this is, and I, listen, I'm going to preach this later, so I'm going to give you a little snippet of it right now. There was a young teacher in Mark chapter 12 went to Jesus and said, Hey, teacher, what's the greatest law? What's the greatest commandment? You want to know what the intent of the law is? All of it? Here it is. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Guess what the very next word is? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you would think, okay, that's good, that's enough. Was that enough for Jesus? No, because he said, the second is this. Here's the next word, love. Isn't it amazing? The two greatest commandments, when Jesus tells them the two greatest commandments, each commandment starts with what word? Love. You tell me what the intent of the law is. Tell me. It's love. Absolutely it is. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's not me, that's Jesus. I love Pastor Daniel Aiken. Daniel Aiken says this, and he's looking at this, he's looking at this moment, and, and I love this message that he preaches. He, he, he's looking at this moment with this, with this man with the shriveled hand, and he, he says maybe he's, maybe he's back there in the corner, maybe he's against the wall, and he's trying not to be a distraction to people because he knows that people, when they see him, they're going to look at him with disgust, or they're going to look at him like he doesn't belong, or maybe he's afraid somebody's going to tell him to get out, and he just wants to kind of be there in the room, right? Be in the synagogue. He just wants to hear this man, Jesus. And so maybe he's caught up in worship, and before he knows it, maybe, maybe he's not even aware. Maybe he just lifts that shriveled hand right? And, and, and all of a sudden he realizes it's up in the air, but guess what? Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him. And Jesus said, I'm going to love this man. And I'm going to restore this man. I'm going to replace his heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And while I'm at it, I'm going to fix that hand. Listen to what Pastor Daniel Aiken says. In this act of mercy, Jesus loves his Father. Listen to this. Jesus loves his Father by expressing God's love and compassion toward the man he created who is in fact one of God's precious creatures. So what does Jesus do in this miraculous healing? He chooses to love the Father and honor the Father by doing what the Father sent him to do and that is love others. Not condemn them, not cut them down, love them. And so guess what happens? The Pharisees, oh, how dare you heal somebody on the Sabbath? How, how dare you break that, that law? How dare you violate that law? This man was not dying. This man just had a shriveled hand. You just violated the Sabbath. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus did save that man's life that day. And it was better than physical. It was spiritual. It was eternal. And guess how Jesus, when he saw the Pharisees, right? When, when he looked at the Pharisees, 
It says he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Let me tell you something. This is what the Bible calls righteous anger. Righteous anger. It's, God, it, it's anger that breaks God's heart. It, it, it's, it's angry for the things that break God's heart. And Jesus saw this and it broke his heart. Listen, the one who could heal their hearts, the one who could exchange their hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, he was right there in the midst of them. But what got in the way? I'll tell you what got in the way. Pride. Pride. Ritual. Habit. Education. Memorization. All the stuff that they could do for God got in the way of God in the room with them. And what was their response now to Jesus? It's been accusation, right? Questions that lead to accusation. What was the response now? Tell me, what, what, what's that last verse say in verse 6? It's, we're killing this guy. We're going to kill him. Do you know who the Herodians were? I want to share this with you before we close. The Herodians were an aristocratic Jewish group, okay? That they were an aristocratic. What that means is lots of money, very wealthy, biggest houses, right? So they were an aristocratic Jewish group, and they actually favored Herod Antipas, and they supported the Roman government. So these were Jews, right, who said, hmm, everything's going good with me. I got the best wine. I got the best food. I got a big, comfy house. As long as you don't mess with me, we all right. And so guess what? They used their money to, to appease and please Herod Antipas. Let's keep him happy because then he won't mess with us. Let, let's support the Roman government. We got plenty of money. We'll give them some money as long as they let us stay in our you know, big houses and we keep eating our good food. According to biblical records, the Herodians don't have, they don't appear to have any political power. Okay, so this wasn't a group that had politics in mind. No, all they wanted to do was keep an easy lifestyle, comfortable. That's all they wanted. Let me just tell you something. The Pharisees hated the Herodians. Do you hear me? Because guess what? The Pharisees, they did not like Herod Antipas, and they did not like Roman government. As a matter of fact, they wanted them gone. But isn't it amazing right here that the Pharisees and the Herodians, who were enemies, are now coming together, and what's their purpose? To oppose Jesus. Think about that for a minute, all right? Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, and I certainly don't want you to raise hands or point fingers or look around. Do you have any enemies? Right? Do you have someone that you maybe consider an enemy? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, do you have somebody that you just don't want to talk to? Like, you just don't want to be around them, Right? And just play with me for a minute here, okay? How easy is it for you to be in the same room with them and just talk with them and agree with them? It's not. If you're like me and somebody's your enemy and they're totally against you, it's hard to talk to that person and it's hard to come to any kind of agreement. Isn't it amazing that these two groups come together and they agree? Right? Two groups that hated each other. Hated each other. Listen, the Pharisees, they strongly opposed Rome. They didn't want Rome there. They didn't want Rome to have anything to do with their culture and their lifestyle. The Herodians said, hey, Rome is bringing some good stuff. We're benefiting from Rome. Yeah, let's pat them on the back and wave at them. The Pharisees didn't want nothing to do with Rome. 
The Herodians did. Yet here it is. Jesus is preaching the truth of the gospel. And he's talking about loving God and loving others. And they had enough of that. So guess what they do? We ain't going to listen to this guy no more. We're going to go over here to our natural born enemies. <laughs> right? We're going to go over here and partner up with the people that we hate so that we can kill this guy. I told you this was a turning point. Listen, they didn't want to just shut Jesus up anymore. You know, it wasn't about just shutting him up. It wasn't about just moving him out of Israel. This was about getting him off the earth. Killing him. I told you this was not just about the Sabbath. Okay? How many of you have titles in your Bible? Like on certain passages, most of you. And you know, you, you read those little titles and I don't know about yours, but mine, on both of these passages, it talks about the Sabbath. Sabbath, Sabbath. I want to tell you something. The Sabbath is important, and yes, that's the topic. But guess what? The topic, at the heart of the topic, is the heart. It's the heart. The Pharisees were using the Sabbath. They were using the Sabbath for their own selfish purposes. They were using the Sabbath to lift themselves up to worship themselves and not God. And I believe that's why Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) The Sabbath wasn't made by you. The Sabbath was made by God for you. Don't try to do me any favors. So I want to ask you a question before we leave today. What what is the Sabbath to you? Like, like what is the Sabbath to you? Is the Sabbath Sunday? Sunday? Is it Sunday, 9.15 to 10.15, 10.30-ish? Is it, is it Sunday from 10.30 to 11.30? Is it Sunday night at 6? Is, maybe, is the Sabbath Wednesday at 6 o'clock, connected family? What, what is the Sabbath to you? And what is the Sabbath about? Well, what is it about? Like, is it about what you're doing for God? Because if it is, I would ask you this question. With that frame of mind, who do you look more like in your response to Jesus? The disciples or the Pharisees? Is the Sabbath a day to honor God by loving Him and loving others and showing mercy and being a vessel of grace? Or is it about pomp and circumstance? Make sure the button's on the coat, right? Button it up, right? Put the smile on, right? Write that check. We got to be very careful. Very, very careful. Another Bible teacher that I like to listen to is a young lady named Kelly Mentor. She was a worship leader for a long time. She still does lead worship in, in, in some places, but she writes a lot. And uh, Kelly Mentor was talking about the Sabbath and one of her Um, one of her blogs, and this is what she said. She said, as we observe the Sabbath, we actively remember that God has made us holy and has set us apart for His good purposes through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. It is much more than a day off. It is much more than a day where we go to church and count that as a day off. The Sabbath is an active participation in God's renewal 
a resting in, a trusting of, and a celebration for what Jesus Christ has already accomplished and is still accomplishing in us and for us. Listen, the Sabbath is not about you and it's not about me. It's about our good God. Amen? And it's about communing with Him. And it's about celebrating Him. And it's not saying, hey God, look what I did for you today. Hey God, look what I did for you this weekend. Oh, by the way, God, I just wanted to remind you, uh, I've served on seven retreats this year. Oh, and God, I got my tax form back. Look Look at the thousands of dollars that I gave the church. That's not Sabbath. At least that's not Sabbath that God gave. That sounds and looks a whole lot more like what the Sabbath the Pharisees were trying to give. We've got to be careful, church. Because as we continue the book of Mark, we're going to find out that people are watching closely. And they're walking along and they're following. Listen, I, I don't know where all of you are this morning. I don't know where your heart is. Some of you might be in a deep, intimate relationship with God. Some of you might be right in the middle. Some of you might be kind of superficial, kind of just under the surface. Some of you might be here and you're curious, right? You're just just curious. You want to know more about this Jesus and about this this heart. And and listen, I want to meet you where you are because you want to know what? That's what Jesus would do. I just want to meet you where you are. Notice I don't have any stones. I don't have anything up here I can throw at you. I'm hoping you don't have one either. Because there's a lot more of you than there are of me. It's not about that. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. I came to do what? Save. Came to save. I believe what broke Jesus' heart, you know, it said that he, he, he looked at them in anger, righteous anger, and it said he was deeply distressed. I believe this. I do believe this. I believe Jesus looked at them with love and said, man, I want y'all to get it. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know whose you are. And I want you to know why you are. And, and I'm here to help you. I'm here to save you. But, but you're holding on to something that can't save you. And I believe that broke Jesus' heart. And that's why he looked at them with righteous anger. Because they were so stubborn. Their hearts had become so hard. And when your heart becomes hard, guess what? You can't mold it and fashion it and form it. You know the only thing you can do? Is break it apart. What is the Sabbath to you? What's it about? Who is it about? I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk out these doors in the world, look at me and go, hmm, there's another Pharisee. I want to walk out this door and I want them to say, that man loves Jesus. And I know that because he loves me. And that's what I want to say about you. That woman, that girl, that boy, that man. He loves God. She loves God. And I know it because he loves me. She loves me right where I'm at. That's how we fill these pews up, by the way. That's how we fill these pews up. We go out and we love God and we love others. It ain't about the best band or the the best preacher or the best building. It's about your love. It's about a humble heart, not a prideful heart, a humble heart that loves God and loves neighbor. I pray that, I pray that is what the Sabbath 
means to you.